Hey, awesome listener. You know how we talk so often about what folks learn or don't learn about sex? Well, there's another too often taboo topic, money. Many folks learn little about finances, in particular, how to build security. This topic is close to my heart because it's been a learning curve for me and because so many women and queer folks are disproportionately affected by poverty. Smart, ethical investing is one way to prevent that. But where do we even start? And isn't investing reserved for the ultra-rich? Not anymore. Vinovest makes investing in wine, yes, wine, easy. Check it out at the link in the show notes where you can receive two months of fee-free investing. What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. And I had the dream that Kali like lifted up her skirt and let me crawl up into her womb to see the universe. And I thought, oh my God, it's like I have a whole universe within me. And that sensuality is that universe. And then also doing the work at home in our own hearts, in our own minds addressing the traumas, the the reason why we feel the way we feel about things, that's, let's not even talk about society, that's going to free you. That was C.K. Love and Babe West, two women with very different and yet somewhat parallel stories. Both women have had to work hard to cultivate sexual empowerment and the self-embracement it can bring. And they both started out with odds stacked against them. First, CK's story. Today, she is a writer, director, author, filmmaker, yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and therapist. Early on, her sensuality was a huge part of her. But she learned that it was shameful. And I've never told anybody the story, and I've never expressed this before. Um, My dad would keep Playboy magazines on the coffee table underneath the Time magazine. And my mother would be distraught and beside herself about it. Uh, We were never told to touch his magazines. And how I know that there was a Playboy magazine underneath that is just because it was just, you heard the fights, you know, you heard the the talking about it. She said there was this sort of unspoken message that that kind of sexual expression was a bad thing. She would try to bring us up as good girls. My father wanted good, pious girls, you know, wearing dresses and silent. Anything that kind of veered away from that kind of piety or that kind of good girl quality, we got a lot of shaming around it. 
I remember there was a time when I wore my favorite top. It was red. It had short sleeves. It had a turtleneck, but it had a zipper up the front. And I was 10 years old. And I think I had budding little boobs, little tiny, you know. And uh, uh, my mother came up to me in the front yard because I was in the front yard. And she came up to me because I had the zipper down. And she came up to me and she zipped that zipper up so fast that it caught a part of my neck, my skin. And she told me that good girls don't wear the zipper down because of the Playboy magazines and because of how the women dressed in the Playboy magazines in, you know, cut off shorts or, you know, that kind of stuff. My mother never allowed us to wear anything that resembled anything that would make us into the bad girls in the magazines. And so there was a lot of shaming around, around sexuality. Do you remember how that felt to hear those messages? I just felt very isolated. I felt as a girl growing up, I felt very sensual. She loved dancing, running around without clothes on. And to be shunned because you feel that way is embarrassing, it's humiliating, it's confusing. And I felt very isolated. I don't know if I understood sexuality. All I knew was how I felt in my body was shameful. And that I wasn't supposed to express myself that way. C.K. attended Catholic school, where the sex advice was essentially, don't do it. She remembers seeing abortion pictures, and the only thought she had about what sex might entail was that it would hurt, so she probably wouldn't want to do it. Eventually, she learned little bits here and there from friends and from older girls at her school. Then, at age 19, she had sex for the first time. And she realized it could actually be pretty wonderful. And then I couldn't get enough of it, much to his chagrin, because I just badgered him all the time. CK didn't know what sex was supposed to feel like, but she knew she loved what she felt. Between that exploration in her late teens and her sexual awakening in her mid-40s, the road felt pretty rocky. She went to university, had a boyfriend for about a year, a relationship that included the usual sex stuff, she said. But emotionally, the messaging she received early on was taking a toll. I was very withdrawn. I was very confused and angry. I was very angry at at my whole family situation and how I grew up. I was angry at the fact that I went to the university at at first because I I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something else, but I was forced to do that. And so having boyfriends, it was really hard for them because I was a hard person. On top of all of that, societal ideas about female sexuality crept or more like whooshed in. She attracted a lot of attention from men, but only, it seemed, for romance and sex, based on ideas of who they wanted her to be versus a whole person. 
back then I was the kind of woman who had men all over me, like, um, you know, claiming their love for me and their undying affection and undying love and wanting to be with me forever. And because of that, I grew colder and colder because I started to feel like I was an object of desire as opposed to a person that had a brain. I was in architecture and, and I had an aptitude towards it. And inevitably I would have a guy befriending me, not because they liked my brain, but because they liked my body. And then when you find out that the person that you have been befriending sort of just wants you for that, you kind of get angrier because you lose the friendship one way or the other, you know. At one point in the middle of her university years, she moved into a house to live with fellow architecture students. She took over the room of a guy one year ahead of her who was about to leave for the summer. As he left, he claimed his undying affection and and attraction towards me. And he says, I want your body. I want you. I want this. I want that. And because he kept on, you know, days that kind of let up, I just said, fine, we'll have sex. And so we had sex. And then that was that. I never actually really talked to him again after that. My heart ached hearing CK describe that especially after hearing about how connected she was to her sensuality as a kid, running around in her skivvies, dancing like no one saw. Where was the girl who felt so free in her body and who once loved sex? That kind of scenario unfolds for many folks, especially those of us reared as girls. CK felt torn between her innate desires that she didn't really know how to connect to in an authentic way and not wanting to be perpetually objectified. And maybe that was because of my upbringing, because I didn't want to be seen as a sexual being. I didn't want to be seen as, as the kind of person who, who was open that way. It's interesting because it sounds like you naturally even growing up had this like connection to what you perceived as your sensuality, that you had this innate, you could perhaps call it sexual desire. Some people consider them kind of like synonymous, but you had this like fire in you and the sensuality in you. And then to feel so objectified all the time, that's such a hard combination to have because you don't want to, I mean, sometimes we want to be objectified you know, maybe by a partner or like if you're performing in porn or something, then that's what you're supposed to do. Right. But if like people aren't seeing you as a person, you feel like a sex toy or something. I mean, that changes things. And I'm curious if that desire you had with your first boyfriend, were you able to maintain that or feel it again? Did it grow or did the anger and those frustrations and all the patriarchal crap push it down? Exactly. That that's what actually happened. Mm. More than anything, the whole anger is about, you know, in those years after that first time into university and into even my 30s is that you're not in control. You have a sense of your own sensuality, but everybody coming at you is misinterpreting it. And so you have no control over it because your sense of identity from an early age is 
very patriarchal and very controlled from a male gaze point of view. And so I was looking at myself from that point of view. And so I used sex to a certain degree as a weapon, as a get out of my face kind of thing. Let me move on with my life. Yeah. Okay. The sexual acts didn't mean much to me at that point in my life. It just became this, you know, thing, a means to an end, boom, you're done. We're done. Just move on. I always felt out of control in those moments. That all started to change for CK in her 40s. Leading up to that, she had ended a marriage she described as similar to her childhood, full of religion-related strictness and shaming. She and her ex have remained friends, but that decision was difficult. She just knew she needed to break free. So I broke free and I went deep dive into therapy and yoga and meditation. And at first that was about not necessarily controlling the body, but about getting so, so in touch with the body and in touch with my psyche and in touch with everything other than what had made me identify who I was. So to kind of shed all that stuff. So yoga and meditation and and therapy were really great tools to start getting me in touch with who I really was and that sensuality. She even decided to open up a yoga studio. Two years in, everything seemed to be going great when she discovered something devastating. My world kind of shattered because the boyfriend that I had at the time broke up with me. He had an affair. So he left and I was so distraught and I was so distraught at how distraught I was. I just couldn't believe how unhinged I became. What the hell is that? She was supposed to be on top of things in touch with her sensuality and her sexuality. Things were supposed to be different now, better. A few months later, CK asked her ex why it all happened what had gone wrong other than his own behaviors? And he said that I was not very affectionate and I was cold and I was angry. She thought she had resolved that, but as she contemplated his words more, she realized she had not opened up enough. The restriction from her youth wasn't gone and related healing remained. Although we had great sex, Somehow, as a person, I was still closed. It was like profoundly revealing to me that I still wasn't that open person I thought I was. And, you know, in spiritual practice, you have to know that you're never done. You're never cooked. So she asked herself what she could do. Now that I'm alone, what can I do? And so what happened was is that I started to go online. At that time, connecting with people virtually didn't involve FaceTime or videos. It was mostly texting, typing back and forth. 
and sometimes phone calls. And CK was on a mission. Before long, she met someone. The kind of person I thought that I needed to kind of take me to the next level. He wanted a submissive. And I thought that's perfect because I'm a feminist. I am woman. I hear me roar. I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm in control. And I have to, you know, release that submissive quality that is part of the sensual, you know, life. And so, you know, we would be talking and he would talk about stuff like we would have to do ass play because, because I'm into that. And he asked me to send him a picture. And so when I took the photograph, I, um, I made sure I hid because <laughs> I'm still doing that. I made sure I hid my, my nipples and my pussy and, and, and who I was, except for my lips, because I think my lips are pretty, pretty sensual. And so I sent him a picture and he asked me why I was hiding. And I didn't want to answer the question because. She doesn't know why. But she knew she was hiding. So they hung up. And I was thinking, am I a prude? Am I, you know, what's going on? I didn't want to go to the places that, that he wanted me to go. And I thought, oh, it's, again, it's just another man telling me what I should be in his life or in life. And, and at that moment, I just kind of shed everything. In a story CK wrote about this experience called Dances in the Fire, she wrote, if I could act this part, the part of a woman who is open to things, who is open about her desires, who even has desires, will I transform into a being who is about light and confidence and positivity? Is that what I will turn into? Is that the goal? I look into the mirror above the sink and wonder if it's big enough for all that. That night she dreamed about a goddess called Kali, who's known for creation and destruction. She stomps on the heads of men and she wears the skulls of men around her waist and she has a blue tongue and CK later learned that holy people called sadhus would wait for Kali to lift up her dress to show them the universe. And I had the dream that Kali like lifted up her skirt and let me crawl up into her womb to see the universe. And I thought, oh my God, it's like I have a whole universe within me. And that sensuality is that universe. In her story, CK wrote that all of her training as a therapist and her study of yoga had been preparing her for that moment. She wrote that all of the fears, shame, and beliefs about her body she had absorbed turned into an energy. She added, I feel it burn deep within me, 
like being flayed from within, all of it loosened from my very being through all the work, and I'm on fire. My body lets go. I melt to the floor and sob. Naked and writhing, my body gives me the orgasmic release of becoming, a moment of grace. Would you describe that as almost like, I don't know, like a spiritual orgasm? I mean, it seemed like there was definitely a climax and a release. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like that, that kind of sobbing that it comes from that kind of release. And I was alone in my apartment and, and I was, I was just on the floor sobbing and released, released and relieved, completely relieved. She said those feelings were also fleeting, but they left her with a kind of solidness in her body that she had not experienced before, a realness. Not long after, she got back together with her last boyfriend, who she remains with today. And the reason why is because I went to him so open and so raw and so, just so open that, that he he just just couldn't believe the change in me. That change filtered into her work at the yoga studio, too. For example, she started teaching students in ways that were more intimate. That was less about the yoga and more about the heart. Sort of bring the sensuality into yoga meditation and not leave it out. I was more open-armed. I was more vulnerable with them. It was just really remarkable. Back at home, she and her partner experimented together with other folks online, the way that she had been exploring on her own, with a community she described as amateur porn stars. As a result, she and her boyfriend grew closer together, and they now share a more solid relationship. It was definitely a healing because I remember when I was a kid, and this is funny, <laughs> it's funny, I've never told this to anybody, but I used to, when I was a kid, I used to, after my bath, I would take the face cloth and it was wet and I would put it over my little nipples and then I would look in the mirror and then let it fall and just like do a little dance. <laughs> and so, uh, you did a little strip tease. I did a little strip tease <laughs> and and. I, I loved doing it. And so it brought it full circle for me that I was doing a little naked dance for people and and being kind of like, you know, that sensual woman that I've always wanted to be and always wanted to express. And why not? I don't know if all little girls do that. I don't know if all women want to do that, but it was definitely a part of my very core, my being, to have that sensuality, to have that playfulness with, you know, sexuality and sensuality. And I was never able to play. And so finally, this whole opening gave me a chance to play.
if you feel stuck in a place like CK once was and you're feeling pretty lost, CK wanted you to hear this. What's in my heart for them is, uh, is that I know how that feels and it feels horrible because there's, there doesn't seem to be a way out. If, if there's anger around it, to somehow find the bottom of that anger, find where that place takes you and try to be totally honest with yourself. You can read C.K. Love's story, Dances in the Fire, inspired by the experience she shared today in the anthology Midlife on Fire, Risky Business, Real Stories, Women Writers. C.K. put the book together, along with Karen M. Bryson, and it features a range of stories by women writers, including a wonderful one by my dear friend Heidi Mastro Giovanni, who you might recall from a couple of past episodes. CK will be taking submissions for a second volume soon, hint, hint. She also plans to offer an online course related to Midlife on Fire that will culminate in a retreat. To stay in the loop, visit her website, restlessspiritproductions.com, or follow her on Instagram at cklovewrites underscore LA and Twitter at cklovewrites. Okay, so here are a few more cool things about VinoVest. They make investing easy with a simple-to-use platform and a team of portfolio advisors. As an investor, you will own 100% of the wines in your portfolio. You can buy, sell, or even drink your wine whenever you want. And they make it super easy to diversify your portfolio. Head to zen.ai slash girlbonerradio to receive two months of fee-free investing, or click the link down in the show notes to save and start earning today. This episode is supported by Zencaster. It's an all-in-one podcast production suite, and it gives you studio-quality audio and video from home without needing all of the technical know-how. I switched to Zencaster for recording my interviews a few months ago, and I have been so impressed. It records each person locally, so even if the internet wobbles, you won't miss a beat. Learn more and save 30% on your first three months at Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter the code GIRLBONERRADIO. You can start with a free trial of the professional version and then either keep going or switch to their free option moving forward for great interview quality without all the extras. Again, that's zencaster.com slash pricing with the code GIRLBONERRADIO, or click the direct link down in the show notes. Now the story of Babe West. As a heads up, this story does contain a few mentions of abuse. Babe describes herself as a fat-bodied entertainer in the Pacific Northwest. 
She told me that sex work, namely porn over the past two and a half years, has helped her love herself radically and put herself first. That's been deeply important for her and challenging, given that she grew up in a highly religious family and not the open-minded sort, where abuse was normalized. We had normalized abuse in our family. My grandmother is like the matriarch, and she had been sexually abused throughout her life and physically abused and, you know, emotionally and all those other things. So there wasn't a lot of dialogue around empowering or even educating of our bodies. Some of her family members tried, but she ended up taking the lead herself pretty often. She'd already been having her period and helping herself to menstrual products, for example, when her grandmother gave her a pamphlet on the change. I just looked at my grandmother who had raised me at that point, and I was like, yeah, I'm already shaving, bleeding, been there, done that. So there was a culture of embarrassment, too. It was not something that you took pride in, the changes of your body. Babe didn't learn anything about sex or sex work growing up, other than what she saw in the media. I remember watching things on HBO or seeing movies. My grandmother worked as a manager of a video chain, and she would often screen the videos at home. So I remember being under 10 years old, having seen Showgirls. It was like cultures of the 90s, and women were often sexualized. And, and I don't feel like that's actually changed. I feel like, you know, teens, youth, women are, were constantly sexualized and, and portrayed that way. So it was always out here in society. But as far as what we could be comfortable and talk about and, and the narrative we get to write about ourselves, it was always hush-hush. We don't talk about those things. Babe told me that numerous things happening in her life then left her longing for attention. When she was a baby, her father murdered her mother. After that, her grandmother raised her. She was healing through her own trauma in a part of her life that was supposed to be about exploring herself. She was a teen mom, got married to get out of bad experiences, and the marriage was 22 years and was not happy. So she was dating a very young, very sexually open flight engineer. And he was like a partier and all these things. And, and he sexually abused me. And that was ongoing. And it was something that she had been made aware of through various people in the family and again, normalizing. And so our narratives around our bodies, especially, I, I learned very young that your body is there for other people. And as a woman, I never felt that I could make a decision without having to justify why I did it. I've seen at multiple points growing up that anytime any harm would happen, it was always, well, what did you do to initiate that kind of contact? Those circumstances, the abuse and the messages she received, weren't the only factors that led Babe to seek or enjoy others' attention. It's also just who she is. I've always gravitated to needing attention or wanting attention and exploring myself and knowing that like, I like all sorts of people. I am queer and it was never encouraged because that was a sin. She said there was a lot of 
what would the neighbors think? What would the pastor think? Before I was a young adult, like before I was 13, 14, I had spent more time in my pastor's office talking to him and his wife about my perversions than seeing a therapist. And I'm not bashing on people, religious freedoms or any of that, but when you're in a position of power and you're not thinking about the words you say and how they impact people, you can leave children feeling broken and more shut down. And that can breed more at-risk behavior. And that's exactly what it did for me. Bay was eventually removed from that abusive situation. She was actually moved twice, she said, then given back to extended family, where the conservative religious beliefs continued. When I was finally permanently taken out of that home and put in with my aunt and uncle, it was the same kind of environment. They didn't know or feel confident in discussing things. So sex was a sin. So coming to them saying, I'm having sex, I'm using condoms, I really want to get on birth control because I don't want to have a baby at 14. It it didn't go over well because they would not condone it. So I went as far as seeking outside help, getting my health counselor, my school counselor, and, and had these adults advocating for me. And long story short, I ended up pregnant at 14. I had my first child four days after I turned 15. And at that point, their approach was, okay, here's your birth control. You've done the worst thing possible. My, my aunt and uncle are ministers. And then they took a hands-off approach because of whatever was so uncomfortable in them. Babe has done different types of sex work, including survival sex work, which comes from a place of extreme need. In her case, she traded sex for housing. She had dependents, and that work helped keep them all safe. Years later, she stepped into consensual sex work. She was making too much money from other work to qualify for low-income housing. And with housing prices skyrocketing where she lived, in Portland, Oregon, she needed a way to pay the bills and provide for her family. This felt more like an empowered choice, she said, opting to market something that she's good at and capitalizing off her sex appeal. And that was rewarding to a point. She said that the risks and fallout from various things that happened then created new trauma. At one point, a returning client took advantage of her, assaulted her, and refused to pay her for her work. She didn't have avenues for support, she said, and that work was no longer feeling sustainable for her and her family. Then, 2020 rolled around bringing shutdowns from the pandemic, and so much more. By then, she had already had an OnlyFans site for a few years. She'd also joined other adult content sites as a consumer and performer, and she had watched numerous of them get shut down. So for me, 2020 was nothing new, except for all of a sudden, this horarchy was crumbling. Horarchy is a term many sex workers use to describe a perceived hierarchy of types of sex work. People will look down on hookers and porn stars, for example, and consider burlesque dancers respectable artists. And it exists within those industries, too. In 2016, strippers started responding in droves to the hashtag NotAStripper. Pole dancers were using it on social media as if to say, just because I'm doing this sexy thing 
doesn't make me gross or cheap like a stripper. And in 2020, many folks seeking new ways to make money from home started using platforms like OnlyFans. Girls that dance that would never be associated and didn't even want to call themselves sex workers, burleskers who wanted a platform that they could do their stuff and monetize off of it. All these people flooding and wanting to do this thing because their other avenues of income and expression were no longer available to them. That brought sex work at large into mainstream culture, Babe said, and it raised important awareness. And with that, it gave us a platform to where at least people are aware, but it never really started the dialogue on how at the end of the day, you still see me below you. Because maybe your boyfriend jerks off to me. Or maybe you don't like the way she looks because you don't have a privileged body, she said. The kind that society considers sexy. By the time COVID set in, Babe had decided against working in porn, and she'd gone from working in IT, building systems and databases, to working in the brewing industry. And in April 2020, nearly her entire team there was laid off. When that happened, she'd already started creating content with a couple of production companies, but she hadn't really embraced, yes, I'm going to do this as a career, for a couple of reasons. I was always being asked, well, one, you're getting up there in age, so how long do you think you're going to do that? Two, you know, what if somebody recognizes you? She was working with companies that weren't part of the adult industry, and stigmas could have kept them from thinking her work there was fine and dandy. But given everything happening in the world and her own inclinations, she started to see things differently. I wasn't really sure if I wanted to take that step, but finally I'm like, well, you're already taking the risk. If this is something that you feel you can do and you'd be happy doing, then why don't you just do it? So she went for it. Entering the adult film industry during a pandemic might not sound very safe, she said, but talent testing and protocols were rigorous, both for STIs and COVID. And as she started flourishing in that work, it seemed to help heal emotional pain that she'd been carrying after being laid off. I've never lost a job before. I was like being broken up with for the first time and all my self-worth was so tied into my productivity not just an income, but in the entire culture of being productive for a business, even when you didn't want to because the bottom line was at stake. In the sex work she does today, Babe has also grown creatively, and she finds a sense of purpose being selective and writing the stories that she wants to see rather than focusing solely on income. It's been a journey. I don't think that I ever had the opportunity to go, well, what do I even like until I started doing porn? The beauty of being an independent contractor, she said, is that you get to pick and choose who you work with. And the best experiences involve a lot of communication, familiarity with each other's work, and negotiation. She shared an example of an idea she had for a scene featuring a feminine dom gal she knows. She approached the performer and learned that she wasn't really comfortable with the specifics of the scene. 
So we tweaked it to where it's a cucking scene where um, they think they're getting one thing and then their wife walks in and she's like, well, actually, I arranged all this, giving her the power. And then from there, she's the boss. And those experiences are ideal. Because nobody walks away with something where they don't feel that they were heard, that their own lived experience isn't there. And ultimately, it is expression and art. And we get to create stuff that maybe the mass consumer hasn't seen. She has created ace porn, for example, which debunks the myth that asexuals never have sex. In reality, some do, whether that's masturbation or with a partner, and some don't. And people are like, well, asexuals don't have sex. And I'm like, well, actually, that's a misnomer. But isn't it nice to see things where you're intimate and sensual, but there isn't any sex or obligation, and the scene ends? Did you catch that? Porn without any sex. You have also featured lube in scenes, which I love because it really brings light to things that some people have learned are unsexy. Yeah, amplifying other things and normalizing. And I'm always down for things like I carry dental dams <laughs> and, and all sorts of things because I, I do think it's awesome to see lubricant used in the middle of a scene, not just edited out or condoms going on. This is important because, as Babe pointed out, porn is the only sex education many young people have access to. It's almost never intended for that, and there are some problems involved with that, but it can still bring some benefits. We can't always have the ideal education that we want, but we can, as creators, if that's our wheelhouse, silently like through action because they're watching they'll see show people and demonstrate and I think that that is its own kind of give back too. Babe finds creating her own adult content empowering emotionally and financially. She's been able to create passive income streams and start managing debt she was drowning in. Beyond that she's been able to invest in creating needed changes in what she sees on the screen. Toward that end, she financed her first shoot house in January. And with that, it's, again, another passive income stream. But furthermore, it's giving me an opportunity to mitigate the things I don't like about porn, the things I don't like about um, interactions with other people, women not being able to advocate for ourselves. For example... I'm guilty of being in a scene where my body is physically being hurt, but I don't feel like I can call cut or, you know, you need more lube, those kinds of things. Like you'd think it wouldn't happen here, but it does. You can't be mad at the the male talent if you're not going to advocate for yourself. It's not the director's fault. It's not the camera person's fault who might see you wince. Like really letting people know that we're all equal. Anybody can call cut. Those things are important, and I don't think that those are things that directors may even think about, especially when they've been in the industry for 20 years and they're working with newer people. Um, And it's not things we normalize in general. 
So I've been able to take not just the money I've made, but the experiences I've gathered. And I have a whole network of other sex workers, many more marginalized than myself. And I'm able to bring them to the forefront um, and, and have commitments to the people that I work with that your scenes that you create in this house, I'm not going to release for at least six months so that you have more than ample time to market and, and get it out there in any way you see fit. And I think that is important because people talk about how things need to change, but how are you going to do that if you don't change it yourself? So I can't fix everything, but at least through what I put my time into, I know that I can at least be as open and move through the world mitigating unintentional harm to the best of my ability. I know this is a huge question, but if you could wave a magic wand and instantly change one thing related to sex work in our culture, what would you change? I would end the hierarchy. At the end of the day, um, people are always gauging where they stand, you know, finding power, right? And once they have a little bit of power, they want to protect it. And that's how, say, like women that um, we say no swerfs and turfs. It means no sex worker exclusionary radical feminist, no trans exclusionary radical feminist. But what does that mean? It means that none of these people are above or lesser than you. And we have to protect all of them. So no whorearchy. I I tell people we're all whores. You can work on the banks for whomever. You can be in the government. You can be doing social work. You can be a sex worker, whatever it is. You are taking your time and trading it for something. We are all whores here. And I say it because it is important. Whatever you're doing, your time is valuable and you are valuable. So whatever you do with your time, go through and have quality interactions where you feel that you've given, but you've also received. And in the parameters of sex work, sex is absolutely natural. And if there are things you don't like to see in pornography, instead of judging the person who's watching the porn or the people who create the porn, Maybe ask yourself, what is it that makes you feel uncomfortable? I had to start with massage room porn because of my lived experience and trauma. And anytime I come into a situation where I don't like what I see in mainstream, I use it as an opportunity to turn it around. I think for me, when I was younger... I was just so intimidated thinking I had to, because my only interaction with other adults having sex was watching porn. And I didn't feel like I fit that bill. Just like I couldn't fit into the low-rise skinny jeans that were all in trend before the days of Beyonce. Like, it wasn't me that I was seeing on that screen. And I tell my fellow fat-bodied performers that don't get mad when your boyfriend hasn't seen a girl that looks like you. It's not like mainstream is exalting us. 
Instead, how about you go film you fucking your boyfriend and put it out there for somebody to see? Like, how are you supposed to ever know that you're normal if you never, ever see somebody doing that? And when it comes to sex, babe said, everyone thinks about and has feelings about it. Whether we are engaging in it or not, it's a part of life. And the more comfortable we can get talking to people in safe spaces and then also doing the work at home, in our own hearts, in our own minds, addressing the traumas, the the reason why we feel the way we feel about things, that's, let's not even talk about society, that's going to free you. Women and femmes in particular, she said, feel like we're not allowed to seek our own pleasure. And that is 100% worth changing, no matter where you are in your journey. And, and like, it sounds silly, but like, don't be, don't be sad or mad or embarrassed if you spend a day just masturbating or going through a whole variety of pornography if you've never actually sat there and explored it. That's not bad. It doesn't make you wrong. It isn't something to be ashamed of. I liken it to makeup. Everybody's got to go through their awkward uh, middle school girl phase wearing makeup where things are too dark before they actually learn how it will work for their complexion, body, etc. Everybody starts where they start. And wherever that is, is completely okay. Learn much more about Babe West and explore her work at thebabewest.com. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would love to hear from you by way of a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the iTunes Store. Be sure to hit that follow button on the podcast app you're using if you haven't yet so that you will never miss a beat. And if you give VinoVest a try, I want to hear about your experience. Check it out at zen.ai slash girlbonerradio or the link in the show notes and get two months of fee-free investing. You can also support this show and get fun extras by joining my community at patreon.com slash girlboner and by letting your friends know about it. Thanks so much for listening. 